You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. Our current serial is Musketeer Space. Chapter 46 Dovecoat Red. Nothing about the flasks offered a clue. They held the stamp of the Cotillard Vineyard in Anjou and a postal seal to show they were authorised for interstellar export. There was no sign they'd been tampered with since leaving the vineyard. Athos took over Chantal's testing chamber with a surprising demonstration of charm and tact, long enough to learn that the contents of the Anjou wine contained enough poison to wipe out a whole platoon of musketeers, let alone a single armed sergeant captain. Back in Dana's cabin, Athos sat on the bunk, poring over the hollow card that had accompanied the poisonous gift. I remember this picture. It's from a year ago. Chevreuse took it. In the Medibay, after the three of us were involved in a training accident, when I lost the Merci Beaucoup. She posted it on Fleetnet, with the caption, Inseparable in Idiocy. Treville had a copy on her dartboard for at least a month. Anyone could have got hold of this. How many ships have you lost, Athos? I'm hoping my luck changes with the pistachio. No ship that ugly is ever going to be blasted out of the sky. He blinked and looked up at Dana. He is all right, isn't he? Dana was touched. Athos pretended he wasn't soft about his spaceships, but she knew true love when she saw it. The pistachio is fine, nothing we can't patch up. Grimaud is also fine, by the way, though I doubt she'll be speaking to you by the time you ship out again. That's just how I like it said Athos, his attention drawn back to the hollow card. You couldn't tell this was old? It's from before I grew out my beard. Since you started shaving it close again, it looks exactly the same. Dana fiddled with one of the flasks, and Athos moved quickly, his hand covering her own. Keep your fingers to yourself. We don't know what other surprises your murderous friend has in store for you. Dana's hand stuttered on the flask. Point made. I'll take them with me when I ship out, he said. This is a matter for Amaral Treville. There's more, said Dana, and quickly told him about Conrad and the transmission Aramis had shared with her via Chevreuse. Athos went very still when she confessed that it was Prince Alec who had staged Conrad's rescue. This is bad, he said, in a low voice once she was finished. He tapped his comm stud. Grimaud, when will he be ready to return to base? I hate you. I hate your face. I hate your ship, his NG said calmly. Six hours if it's an emergency, but only if you can prove you've had actual sleep. And I take the helm. See you in six hours. Athos cut her off without further conversation. See, Grimaud's fine. Don't tell her you're bringing poison on board. It would be far too much of a temptation, said Dana. Are you really going to take this to Treville? Oh, yes. All this 
Athos waved a hand at the flasks with a troubled look upon his face. This is personal, not political. Cardinal Richelieu has lived too long and survived too much political bullshit to indulge in personal revenge, and if she ordered your assassination, it wouldn't be so amateurish. Who else wants you dead? Should we consider that pilot with the scar and the fierce hair? You don't get to mock anyone's hair, given yours when we met, said Dana, reaching over to rub her palm over the blonde stubble of his scalp. And no, I don't think... Ro and I have an understanding. If she wanted to kill me, I honestly think she'd prefer to be there for it. How romantic. Well, then, I can think of one suspect. So can I. They didn't say it. Any of the names by which they knew my lord. They could not speak of the alien spy without feeling him there in the room with them. I can believe it, Dana said finally. He was furious before Count Conrad escaped. After everything in Paris... I can well believe he's taking it personally about me. Athos nodded and sat in silence for a moment. I have to have a very detailed and very uncomfortable conversation with Amiral Treville. It's long past time that we put this sun-kissed creature in the ground. Dana felt a painful tug at her stomach. Do you have to go right away? Athos smiled and tapped her lightly on the nose. The war won't last forever, D'Artagnan. We'll all be back, drinking and brawling in Paris before you know it. Dana said nothing. It felt a terribly long way away. Six hours, Athos reminded her. I can crash here, yes? Let's see if this sleep thing is as worthwhile as everyone claims. Fine, Dana groaned, looking at the narrow bunk and wondering how on earth they would both fit. But take your damn boots off. Forty-eight hours after Athos and Grimaud left to make their appointment with Treville, the hoyden rolled into the main dock of the Frenzy Kenzie. Dana stared at it for a full minute, gathering her courage to check on whether Porthos was alive and well inside her dart. Though, in fact, the hoyden didn't look like it had taken any damage at all. Bonnie was the first one out, and she waved off the intern that Bass sent over for a damage report. When she caught sight of Dana, she crooked her finger. Huh. Dana headed to the hoyden, wondering what in space was going on, only to stumble over her feet when a tall and elegant figure in a violet flight suit stepped out instead of Porthos. Rosne Cho gave her an enigmatic smile and held out her wrist. Captain, she said. Dana leaned in, her wrist brushing against Rose. Her comm hummed as the new orders rattled in. What happened to your moth? she asked, because there was something about Rose that made her blurt out the first thing that came into her mind. Every single time. Crashed and burned in the last sortie against the sun-kissed, said Roe. 
and laughed out loud at the horror that crossed Dana's face. Honey, I didn't know you cared. That was a beautiful ship, Dana muttered. I'm sure the Cardinal will present me with a new one for services rendered. Dana glared at her. So what are these orders? Oh, I'm relieving you of duty for 48 hours, said Ro. You don't have to show me the way to the captain's chair. I'm sure I can remember it. Dana blinked. You're what? I'm what? Rosne Cho was already walking away, a knapsack tossed casually over one shoulder. Read your orders, D'Artagnan. You'll find them enlightening. Porthos explained everything on their way to Shallow Station. She made Bonnie pilot the buttercup so that Dana, still without an NG of her own, given Planchet's continuing duties on the Frenzy Kenzie, could share the Hoyden's flight deck, and they could talk without the use of comms. Explain wasn't entirely accurate, given that Porthos had no idea what was going on, and why Rosne Cho, of all people, had been rotated on to cover for Dana on the Frenzy Kenzie. Athos is cooking something up with Treville, and they want us part of it, was all she had to share. Spy stuff. Dana nodded miserably. It had been categorically proven that she was terrible at spy stuff. But if Athos thought she could be useful, she wasn't going to let him down. How's he doing? Porthos gave Dana a cagey look, as if trying to work out how much she already knew. Grimauda's threatened to quit if he doesn't cool it with the pilot drugs and the stims, she said. Grimaud threatens to quit every week, Dana sighed. She means it this time. She showed him a job offer she received from Claudine Jussac of the Red Fleet, and he promised not to call her bluff. Dana was sceptical. Grimaud had been enabling Athos for a long time like the rest of them. It was hard to imagine he would let her force him into a corner. Is he actually going to cool it with the pilot drugs on the stems? Well, he's hopped up on caffeine. I haven't seen him drunk since he got back from his near miss, Porthos said. But he spent most of his time behind closed doors with Treville, so maybe he hasn't had time. She hesitated to continue, her fingertips tapping idly against the cables of her harness. He's taking this milord business personally. Wouldn't you? Dana demanded. Porthos gave her a long, hard look. He's acting like it's his fault the bastard tried to poison you. Ugh, Dana groaned, because of course Athos would blame himself. Typical. There's also a problem with the prince consort, Porthos went on. Prince Alec is supposed to be back safely on Luna Palais, leading the home guard or tattooing the nursery walls or whatever else an expectant father does while his pregnant wife is out winning a war against aliens. Instead, he's been bombing around the solar system, punching spies in the head and rescuing his tailor from sinister asteroid prisons. Does Athos blame himself for that too? Dana asked. Nope, said Porthos, hiding a grin. I'm pretty sure Treville is going to blame you. Dana expected to be taken to the Regent's Royal's flagship 
or the armoured command base, the Saint-Gervais. Failing that, she thought Treville might have an office somewhere on Shallow Station. Instead, Porthos led her directly back to the nightclub, where they had spent the evening in before the proper battle began. Dovecote read. This is official business, right? Dana asked, as they made their way through the grinding bodies, pulsing music and spotlights that turned everything blood red. You haven't kidnapped me to show me a good time. Such trust, Porthos laughed, catching her by the hand and pulling her onwards through the club. At the far end of the bar, she gave a discreet password and was led through to a mostly soundproofed back room. There, surrounded by barrels and bottles, two musketeers sat at a game of cards, with a bottle of wine between them, Aramis and Athos. About time you showed up, said Athos, as he laid down his hand. It's been forever, said Aramis, giving Dana a friendly hug and hooking her arm around Porthos's neck. No, Treville, Porthos said with a frown, pushing Aramis off and pouring herself a drink. I expected her here by now. Is this or isn't this official business? Dana asked, unsure whether to make herself comfortable. There was an odd tension in the air. Athos looked up, his eyes locking onto hers. Not all councils of war can be held in the open, he said. There was a knock at the door. Dana's friends froze, their hands going to their belts. Athos's fingers hovered at his pilot's slice, while Aramis and Porthos reached for stunners. So we're not supposed to be here, Dana hissed. She'd been right to be suspicious. That isn't Treville's knock, Aramis said in a whisper. The door spun open. The bright red gold lights of the club poured across the threshold, along with the thumping beat of the music. Six red hammers filed into the room, lining up against one wall. A woman in full battle dress and steel-grey hair stepped in after them. The door whirled shut behind her, keeping out the music and the blazing lights, though the thudding backbeat continued to vibrate through the floor. Musketeers, said Cardinal Richelieu. How fascinating. There was a strangled pause. Athos moved first, one hand curling around the neck of the nearest wine bottle. Your eminence, may I offer you a drink? Dana thought for a horrified moment that she might burst into laughter, but she managed to swallow it down. Too kind said the cardinal. I am here for a meeting, but I seem to have been shown to the wrong room. A glass of wine would be most hospitable. She came forward to take the empty seat at the table, the one that Dana had not taken for herself. Aramis scrabbled the cards and coins out of the cardinal's way. Athos poured a glass of wine and handed it to their visitor with the aristocratic manners that he dusted off for special occasions. The cardinal sipped. It's the Comte de la Fere, is it not? She said, eyes on Athos and his bright blue jacket. 
I prefer Athos, he said. That other fellow died a long time ago. Of course, Athos, a simple name for a simple man. I like to think so, your eminence. Her eyes flicked around the room. And young D'Artagnan, I see you there. Are you enjoying your work on the supply line? Keeps me busy, your eminence, Dana said, keeping her tone even and polite. I suppose you all know each other, said the cardinal, waving a hand at her stony-faced red hammers. Two of them wore the uniforms of sabre pilots, while the others were grunts. Paris may be the greatest city in the solar system, but those of us in the same line of work do tend to find each other, said Athos, with a charming smile that Dana had never seen him use before. Your man Boisner there had a friendly altercation with Aramis only a fortnight ago, not with blades, of course, because dueling is illegal. Arm wrestling is a time-honoured way of settling grievances while keeping things friendly. How thrilling, said the cardinal. Who won? It was a draw, your eminence, said Aramis, with a smile that matched the one Athos still wore. I took a cut in the arm, which was easily fixed, and I believe that Boisney regained the full use of his legs within twenty-four hours. Thank goodness for today's medical marvels, said the cardinal. Really, Boisney. You know I disapprove of fighting between the ranks. We're a fleet united now. Even arm-wrestling has its dangers. The red hammer in question was well aware that this conversation was a trap, but managed to say, Yes, your eminence, without shifting his steady gaze from the musketeers. All in the name of friendly rivalry, Athos went on, you wouldn't want your guards to be lacking in fighting spirit, would you, your eminence? The cardinal's eyes darkened. I've never heard it put so succinctly before, she said. Of course, we also value restraint. Your pilots are paragons of restraint, Athos agreed. Why, last time Captain Hardoin and I had an Informal sparring session, we didn't even try to draw our swords, did we, Yvonne? One of the sabres, a muscular woman with the shape of two crossed knives shaved into the side of her scalp, gave Athos a grin that was all teeth. Nope, she said. You threw me out a window instead, baby. I paid for the damages, he shot back, and dinner. And dinner, Yvonne agreed. Oh, God, were they flirting? Dana could have done without this insight into Athos's love life. There was no way this conversation could end without extreme violence and multiple arrests. It was also civilised, and yet the tension was unbearable. And you, Captain Lieutenant Porthos, said the Cardinal, surely... You have never come to blows with any of my guards. Porthos ran her eye along the line of them, considering. She lingered on the smallest red hammer, man who had to be younger than Dana, 
He blushed under her gaze. There may have been an incident involving a tavern bench, but the guidelines on duelling with furniture. More of a grey area. The cardinal laughed. A bright and happy sound. You are all such entertaining company. I can see why D'Artagnan is so attached to you. Athos's grip tightened on his wine glass. Another knock sounded on the door. Everyone flinched, except Athos and the cardinal. One of the bar staff opened the door, looking mortified. Your eminence, I am sorry. I believe your appointment is waiting for you upstairs. I thought it must be something like that. The cardinal drained the last of her wine glass and set it on the table. I apologise for intruding on your evening, my dears. It was a pleasure and an honour, said Athos, rising with her. The cardinal held her hand out to him. He bent over her ring, kissing it. Good evening all, said the most powerful religious leader in the solar system, and made her graceful exit. The hammers and sabres filed out behind her. The door closed. Dana let out a shaking breath. Aramis and Porthos did the same. What was that? Aramis said incredulously, then swung around to point an accusing finger at Athos. Who are you? With the manners and the charm and the... The smiling, said Porthos with a shudder. Dana said nothing, like the others... She was staring at Athos. She had seen that manic gleam in him before, usually when he was about to throw the first chair or stab the first attacker in a bar brawl. He glowed all over. Ladies, said Athos, purring the words, this war just got interesting. Thank you for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional owners and continuing custodians of Lutruwita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Flyer is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. There's one more bonus story still to come on Patreon this year, and it's a little fairy tale one that I'm quite proud of. So, uh, see you next week. <laughs>